Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. We're glad you're here. No, I mean, you're still here. The apocalypse did not happen yesterday. That's okay. They said it's coming October 5th. Oh, right. Now, I was a little worried because I came in this morning. I didn't see Pastor Doug. I'm like, oh, no, maybe the rapture did happen. (laughs) Pretty sure he's going. (laughs) Of all the people who would go. Yeah. You know what? I didn't see Mama Forrester in the first service. Yep. That was a a moment, too. I think we need faith. Yep. And that's what we're talking about today. What a coincidence. (laughs) Only God knew six weeks in advance that we'd be talking about this the day after that. Does everybody know who this lovely young woman is? Yeah. She's not just the chick who comes up during Christmas plays and does raps, okay? She's also our junior high pastor, and she's an awesome preacher, and I'm privileged that we get to co-teach today. So. Awesome. It's a little bit different than uh, when I get to rap and like come and go. I have to be here for the next 30 minutes. Yeah, and I've been wrestling with uh, cold. You could probably hear that in my, in my throat. So if my throat starts to give out at any point in time, Pastor Janine's going to preach to you today. <laughs> no, <laughs> I lost my, throat, my, my voice. Yes. Because of the Irish. Yes, you have family over. Yeah, my wife has her uncle and aunt over from Ireland. Where are you guys? Yeah, Irish people are really loud, so I had to speak double loud to speak over them last night, so... Says the Portuguese guy. Hey. Thanks for being with us, Janine. <laughs> and he didn't mention it first, so this works. <laughs> but All it right. is our joy to be with you this morning. <laughs> Somebody's happy, that's awesome. All right, so we're talking about faith this morning because we're on a new series called The Great Adventure. And so two weeks ago, we had an awesome service where uh, we shared the testimony of somebody who came to faith in an incredible way. And then last Sunday, Pastor Doug was talking about why Jesus. Uh, If we're good enough as humans, why did he have to come and die for us? And if he did die, so what? What does that have to do with me? So it was a great foundational message. Just remind those of us who've been on the journey for a long time, what it really is all about. Because you know what I find, Janine, is sometimes we become professional Christians. Yes. We become so good at it that we, really, we, forget, we forget to go back to our foundations. And so today we're asking a question that I think everybody struggles with in this community, whether you're online watching in this country or we know that you're, out, you're spreading all over the world and we're, we're glad that you're here. But faith is something that people struggle with all the time. So let me ask you a question. How many people have perfect faith. No hands. You've never doubted anything in your life. You've never been afraid. Of course you have. Of course we have. Absolutely. In fact, we all struggle with faith. I thought it would be fun for us to share a couple of stories about maybe a time or two that you placed your trust in something 
Has anybody here ever been let down before? Right? You put your trust in someone or something, a system, uh, a person, and then it fell through. That ever happened to you? Uh, yes. So this is also my most embarrassing moment. Awesome. Christ. Along with... So you get to hear a little bit of uh, a moment for me. So I was on my third mission trip. We were heading to Zimbabwe from Zambia. We had done the 14-hour trek, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were at Murray and Cindy Cornelius's home. And there were also some other people that were there that were very important. And so they were like... Oh, stop. <laughs> See, what she, she was very diplomatic there. There were other people there who were very important. In the green room, she said, and all the big wigs were there. <laughs> they, they were like, they were regional directors of Africa and all yeah. like people who plan missions for like global workers. And our team had just arrived and uh, it was already a really rough trip for me. Um, my dad w- had, was in the hospital mm. and all of this stuff. And so we, we get there and there are not enough chairs around the table. So I see this chair sort of nestled off in the corner. I'm going to pull the chair up and join the hole. And so we say a word of prayer, and everyone gives mm-hmm. grace, and everyone's super diplomatic about so it. because it's nothing embarrassing. Nothing embarrassing. And right. I go to sit on the chair, and, and the chair did not provide me with the kind of faith that I should have had, and I just went, <laughs> whack, right on the ground. And I, in front of all the big wigs. In front of all the big wigs, I had placed my faith in a three-legged chair, not a stool, <laughs> A three-legged chair. And so it was just one of those moments where you, you laugh or you cry, and I burst into absolute, like, hysterical laughter. It was the only way to sort of deal with it. My eyes were, like, big out of my head, but it was, yeah. Okay. Wrongly placed face in a chair. So simple illustration. A chair, when you sit, you're all sitting in a chair. You didn't even think about it. You, you probably did 50 things on the way in the church this morning that required faith, and you, you weren't even aware of it. It was just so automated. Absolutely. From your alarm clock going off, to your coffee machine working, to people stopping at traffic lights, to the chair supporting you, to the microphones working, everything. There's so many things that we take for granted that we do on a regular basis. So I've done my embarrassing story. It's I don't have turn. any. I've never done anything foolish. It's your turn. Let's move on to point two. <laughs> I, I'm sure there has to be a wonderful Joe Amaral story about something that happened that required... That you had placed your confidence. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, you guys know, before I, I joined the staff here at Portico, I used to travel all around the world. And the last year before I stepped down, I think I did uh, 11 countries in, in 12 months. It was just, all, yeah, it was a big wow, all yeah. over the place. And I would just get home for a day or two, do some laundry, restock my suitcase, get on a plane, and, and go back. Well, I'd been to Hong Kong and China, and I'd been to Malaysia and Singapore. That was my kind of Southeast Asia experience. Uh, over time, a book that I wrote, Understanding Jesus, got translated into um, Chinese, traditional, and, and what's the other one? Mandarin, simple, Cantonese. Simple, simple and traditional. And some of my stuff also got translated into Thai. Cool. So I got an email from a pastor and said, hey, saw your videos on YouTube, love your stuff, would you come preach in Thailand? And I'm like, yeah, sure. That's another really cool stamp. Go to Thailand. For my passport, right? Yeah. So, um, made the booking. It was about a year ahead. So I put it in my calendar four months before, bought my ticket, like a good itinerant, had it all ready to go. Get on a plane. So I fly 16 hours to, to Hong Kong, 
have a layover, and then flew four hours to Thailand. So I land in Bangkok. Nothing, nothing wrong about the story so of times far. Before. Yep. Just I did this. So many, I had faith that the ticket would be there. I had faith that the plane would get me there. Blah blah blah. All the stuff. So I get to Thailand, and you know I'm one of maybe three Caucasians in the airport. So I stand out. Now, I don't know who's picking me up. And so I'm, I'm, I'm looking for somebody that maybe might recognize a picture of me from the internet or something. So I'm looking around and nothing. So I waited an hour. I thought, you know, it's a busy airport. There could be traffic, right? There's a number of And this number is Joe Emerald who flies into an airport and people have signs and cameras and they're ready for him, right? Like, hey, this is, we're, we want this guy here and, and nothing. Well, you're very kind. <laughs> but, uh, so two and a half hours pass and still nobody. Now I'm a little worried because I'm literally on the other side of the world by myself. I paid for my ticket on my own. Like I need to reclaim it. Something needs to happen here. So I, I, I saw like a little SIM, SIM phone card shop. And so, yeah, yeah. So I, I put the SIM phone in my card and I asked somebody, how do I dial this number? So this nice Thai person helped me dial the number. And the pastor answers, hello. I said, hi. And they went, hi. I said, it's Joe Amaral. I'm sorry, who's this? No, I'm, I'm, I'm Joe Amaral. And this is the moment where you realize just how important you really are. Oh, <laughs> I wasn't going to say that. But... No, it's true. It's true. And so I said, oh, um, I said, I'm in Thailand. Oh, that's wonderful. What are you doing here? I said, oh, you invited me to preach. I did? When? I said, tomorrow at your church. <gasps> Is that this weekend? Yeah. Long story short, I placed my trust in a system, and I was forgotten in Bangkok. Sounds like a movie, Forgotten yeah. <laughs> in Bangkok. Right? So we've all demonstrated actions of faith, and most of the time it works out, but sometimes it doesn't. In fact, not only do we have stories to illustrate this, but... Some simple things like your bank put that debit machine. How many university students are there that you haven't quite gotten your OSAP and you put your debit machine in and you're like, I don't know, I don't know. But that's one of those areas of faith that we place in all the time. We put our our debit card in. We hope that the money that we've made over the course of the week is going to come back to us. Yeah, and I have faith that when you put your paycheck in your account that it goes into mine. But <laughs> now, you know what? We thought we, we practically demonstrated it with stories, but we found this hilarious video online. Does anybody know what a trust fall is? You know, trust, I, I think I've demonstrated here in the church. Yeah, with you. And you <laughs> fell like a champ. Okay. Here's a trust fall that didn't go as well as the person intended. And listen in to see if you can figure out why. Watch this. Alright, so it's called the trust fall, so your eyes have to be closed, okay, and, and when I say go, so I'm going to count and say go, then you have to fall and Daisy will catch you, okay? Mm-hmm. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah. Alright, one, two, three, go. Oh. Ah! Daisy, you <laughs> you me! I meant to fall backwards! Alright. It's hilarious. All right. You guys are so terrible. You're all laughing. We know she's okay. She's okay. Why laughter is okay. 
Now, did you catch what went wrong with the trust fall? The mother said, honey, it's straightforward. See, so the mother said the right words, but the daughter interpreted it wrong in her mind. So the, throw that into your relationship with God. How many times have you misheard God's intention for you? Because it was, it was filtered through your wants, your desires, the thing that you wanted. Mm-hmm. So she heard her mom say, it's, you know what, just, it's straightforward. Just fall straightforward. Just fall straightforward. Or no, fall, trust your sister, fall, but it's straightforward. Instead of fall into your sister's arm, it's a very simple process. Which is what she meant by straight. Yeah, we do this all the time, right? We pray and we ask God for something. We say, Lord, if it's your will, then let this thing happen. You could stop right there because you're not going to listen to anything God has to say. Because you're going to filter everything he says through what you want anyways. And that's what happens all the time. And today we want to talk about having a faith that really believes in God and takes him for who he is at his word. And it isn't always easy. And so we talked about demonstrating faith on the way in. How did you demonstrate faith driving into church this morning, do you think? So I demonstrated faith that when I put my key in my ignition, my car would start. Right? That's a simple thing. I demonstrated faith that when I drove on the road, that that really bold yellow line between me and everyone in the opposite (laughs) direction of me works. That no one is going to all of a sudden come into my lane and and create chaos. It doesn't work in Israel. It doesn't work in Israel. It doesn't work in a lot of countries outside of here. But there, there, we, we demonstrate faith every time we see a truck and we go, I can see all his mirrors or all their mirrors and they're, they're there and, and I'm going to stay in my lane and all of a sudden 18 wheels are crossing over your lane and you're like, what do I do? Yeah, right? I mean, so simple. So I'm, you know, you're driving and my light is green. So I'm going through the light, right? And you know that that light is red. And there's a guy barreling to the intersection. That's when you have faith that they know what they're doing. Absolutely. Now take that and apply it to everyday life. Let's ask the question, what is faith? We can define it online. We can define it in the dictionary. But why don't we go to God's word and discover what faith actually is? So Hebrews 11.1 says... Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance for what we do not see. Okay, so this is under our first point, and it's this. Everyone expresses a measure of faith. Everyone does. doesn't matter what your background is, your, your race, your, your, your sex. Your, it doesn't matter what you are. Everybody expresses a measure of faith, and we've just given you all these examples of how to do that. So the Bible says then that faith is confidence... In something that you hope for. So I hope that they're going to stop. I hope that my company will pay me on payday. I hope all these things. So we hope for something that we've not yet seen. And now we're going to take that and we're going to move over into a second point And we're going to begin to apply this to our relationship with God. So what's our second point today, Janine? Our second point is that not every expression of faith is centered on God. Explain that explain that. (laughs) We put faith in all kinds of things all the time, and not every single thing that we put our faith in Mm -hmm. is something that is specifically centered on God. My ability to have faith in my car didn't require me to actually Mm -hmm. pray and trust God that the car was going to work. I kind of hoped Honda would take care of that, right? Um, 
But we place our faith mm-hmm. in all different kinds of things all the time. Yeah, so a lot of people put faith in a lot of things. So at the top of the message, we asked you how many people struggle with their faith, right? There's a lot of people. Now, how many people here believe in God? Like, let's not open it to this massive religious thing. Just, you would say, yeah, I believe in, in God or a God-like entity. Let me see your hands. Would you say I believe in some kind of a God? Yeah? Great. James 2.19 says this, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even demons believe that and they shudder. <laughs> There's some of us that actually don't even shudder at the thought of God and his magnificence and how incredible he is. And yet demons do and they shudder. I love this line. He says, do you believe in God? Good, you're on the same part as a demon. What? Demons believe in God and they shudder. They're afraid of him because they know how awesome he is. We have forgotten how to shudder. We become so professional in our Christianity, and I'm sorry to say this, but we have this theology that, you know, he's our buddy and we hold his hand and we, and we walk through the tulip fields. And we forget he is God. He is the creator and the sustainer of life. And we pray that as we come back into our relationship of faith, it's not a shuddering out of fear. It's a shuddering out of respect and awe, knowing who he is. Amen? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so being born into a Christian country doesn't make you a Christian. No. Being born into a Christian family doesn't even make you a Christian. Um, that throws back all the way to last week's message that talked about the idea that conduct, the things I do, are not what determine whether or not I'm a Christian, but that out of the love and reverence I have for God, that my conduct matches what of I course. believe. Of course. So if I, see, um, if I see some guy downtown Toronto, and he's helping an old lady cross the street, is that enough information for me to look at him and say, that man must be a born-again Christian because he just did a good thing? Is that enough information? No, because he could be an atheist. He could be a Muslim. He could be Jewish. He could be a Hindu. He could be all kinds of things. So good acts are important, but they're not the only thing that set us apart. It's a demonstration. It's something that comes out of our hearts. It's an outflow of our relationship with God. Absolutely. Hebrews 11.6 says this, and without faith it is impossible to please God. Okay, stop there. Read that again. I want, need to get this. And without faith it is impossible to please God. One more time. And without faith it is impossible. Stop. So now I feel like all my junior highs. Like when I tell <laughs> them to repeat after me over and over again, this is what I do. Repetition is the master teacher. Okay? <laughs> now, I'm the teaching pastor here at the church, right? Yes. Nobody knew that. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Just to know, I'm the teaching pastor at the church. And so that affords me the privilege of, I can put countless of hours into the study of the Bible, into the culture, into words, and I do that every week. I love it. We get together in sermon prep, we get an idea, then I'm like a bulldog. I, I kind of go to it, and I want to tear that verse apart and find out everything I can, as much cultural information, doctrinal as I can, and then impart it to you to help you grow in your faith. That's, that's what we get to do here at Portico. And so I was looking at the word impossible, because it says without faith, it's impossible. Say it again. Impossible. Impossible. So I looked it up in the original, in the Greek, 
in the Hebrew, in the Aramaic, in the Egyptian, in the Mesopotamian, in every language you could imagine. And guess what I found impossible means. What does impossible mean, Pastor Joe? Impossible. <laughs> so if it's impossible. Impossible. Absolutely impossible. Can you please? To please God. Does God ever answer the prayers of someone who, let's say, didn't know or wasn't seeking or anything? What do you guys think? Can God answer the prayer request of an unbelieving person? He does. Okay. I'm so glad you said that with boldness because you're right. (laughs) Absolutely. And so this is one of our first people in scripture that we actually encounter who, who demonstrates Luke. this kind of faith. Yeah, in Luke chapter 7, there's a story of a centurion. And that's a nice way of saying, he's a Roman, okay? He's a Roman citizen, he's a Roman guard. His job is to either uh, keep Jews under control or kill them if they get out of control. So he's not a like person. And as far as the Jews of that time are concerned, they, they didn't want their God to love him. Because how could God love him? He's such a horrible and terrible person. Look at what he does. So God's only for us. And so this centurion comes to Jesus and has a a servant that's ill. And he says, Jesus, if you could heal my servant. And Jesus says to him, I'm I'm only sent to the sheep of Israel. I'm not supposed to be doing all this other stuff. He goes, yes, but you are a man of authority. And I too am a man of authority. Mm -hmm. The centurion says, he goes, when I tell people to go, when I tell my servants or my other commanders to go, they go. And when I tell them to stay, they stay. And so I know that you have the kind of authority that if you tell sickness to go, it will go. If you have the kind of authority, wow, right? Like if you say it's going to go, Jesus, it's going to go. And Jesus <laughs> says to him, I have not seen that kind of faith in all of Israel. He's not even wow. of the lineage. Like he has right. no reason to, to demonstrate that faith. And yet Jesus says, I see it. I love that. You see, this centurion, he understood the authority of Jesus, but he never had that opportunity to move into having a relationship with him. You see, God loves to answer our prayers. God loves to to meet our needs. He loves to do those things, but that's temporary. That's for like 70, 80, 90 years if we're blessed on this earth, that's all. He's more interested in our long-term health. Absolutely. And so it's great to understand the authority that when God says, I will do this, he will do this, and to believe it, but it's more important to have a relationship with the one who says he can do those things. And that's what we see in the life of the centurion, and it's definitely a wow moment. Totally. And then we go from that that moment and that Mm. example to somebody who absolutely understood authority in Saul who understood the weight and the religion and the laws and the legalities of it all, and yet he was lacking relationship. Yeah. Paul, everybody knows who Paul is in the New Testament, where his Hebrew name is Saul, Shaul, right? Very, Very Jewish man who was a man of authority. In fact, he held such a high position that the Jewish council gave him a permission slip to go and arrest and kill any believer that he wanted to. So Paul was was an esteemed member of his community. He said, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. That's a Jewish way of saying, I am more observant than you are. You don't eat bacon? I don't even look at bacon. I'm so much more observant than you. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I've done nothing that's ever offended the traditions of our fathers. And he had all of the religion. 
but it still wasn't enough. Some of you, you know about church. Some of you have been coming to church. You've heard about church, and you think you know God because of those experiences. It's not about knowing about God. It's about knowing God, and that's the experience that Paul had on the road to Damascus. He came into relationship. Yeah, and it got to the point where he could then boast in 1 Corinthians about the thorn, right? Where before he would have boasted in all of his accomplishments and the things that he had accomplished, he realized that he could boast all the more readily because God's grace was in the midst of his difficulty and the things that he wasn't getting right and the things that were constant Mm. things in his life. And then you have your everyday average dude in Peter. I thought you were going to say your average Joe, but anyway. Your average Joe. Thank you. So yeah, so we have the soldier who's a person of authority, right? And think of any position today that's high ranking. We have that kind of person who needs to believe. And then you have the educated, you have the elite, a guy like Paul who comes along, and then he comes into relationship. And then you got a Peter who's like the average person who just, you go, you go to work every day, maybe it's not the most you know, highfalutin job in the world, but you pay your bills, you do your thing. And this is who Peter is. He's just, he's a fisherman. And although Peter also grew up in a kosher environment, he grew up in a religious environment. Now, before I say that, you were at the hometown of Peter, yeah. like at his house in Capernaum. What was that yeah. like before we go on? Uh, it's, that was... To see the way it had been set up in this circular fashion, to see how they did church together was one of those moments for me that I was like, oh man, small groups are really, really important. Growth Uh groups are really important. Because if the first century church saw the value, and literally they were a stone's throw from the local synagogue, like the house is here and the synagogue was probably right over there. And yet the whole house was set up in a manner that the small group, this community was the center of everything that they did. And so it just reinforced for me, wow, small groups are incredibly important and how we do faith Mm. together is really, really important. So Funny you should mention small groups. (laughs) I just drop in all of these nuggets here and there. Growth groups, growth groups launched this week, and our Tuesday night Bible study is back, okay? So we started last Tuesday and from now until, until the new year. So if you haven't had a chance to come out, come and visit us at the gym here on a Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, where we go a little bit deeper in the Word, because we can't get to everything here on a Sunday morning, as well as we're going to do some apolog- apologetics. Help us understand why we believe the things we that we do. So that's happening Absolutely. this Tuesday. Okay. So we've had our first two points. We're going to come in. Did we say something? No, I was going to say there goes the plug and we'll There's go the back. plug. There's the plug. Okay. Great. <laughs> okay, let's go to our final point here. And it's this. What, okay. Let, let me recap. The first was everyone expresses, expresses a measure of faith. Mm-hmm. And then not every expression of faith is centered to God. So let's ask the question, what is an expression of faith that pleases God? What kind of faith is God calling us to have? Is it just a relationship in an institution, in an organization, in an earthly system? Or is God wanting us to move beyond that? What kind of faith are we to have, and what are we to have that faith in? Now, a few weeks ago, as we were getting ready for the message, I said, hey, it'd be great to have Pastor Janine come and share her story, her journey of faith. Because everybody sees her from time to time, but this would be a great opportunity for her to share. And I thought, why just her testimony? She's a great preacher. You should have heard her in Israel. She's a great preacher. I said, hey, why don't we co-preach together? Yeah. And it worked out great with my voice being the way it is. 
It worked out. Because she's here to it help. So everybody looks at Janine and they see this sweet, I don't know why they're laughing, <laughs> godly know. woman. But was that always the case? Uh, no, I didn't. No, I, I didn't come to faith until later on in life, so I did mm. not grow up in a Christian home. I had family that was, um, they were reverent to church and things of that nature, mm. but we were nominal at best, I think. I don't even think we were like CEOs, like Christian Christmas and Easter kind of things. Mm. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, CEO Christians, yes. Yeah. And... Uh, so I, my first real exposure to Christianity didn't actually come until I was 15 years old. And there's uh, the girls' basketball team, boys' basketball team, and one of the guys on the boys' basketball team's like, oh, you should come out to my church. And he would w- listen to sermons in his giant earbuds because we all, we all listen to Sony Walkmans and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's dating myself. And, wow. um, <laughs> and his parents would come and pick me up, and, and there was a bunch of us, probably three or four of us, that all came to church together. And uh, that was where I had my first genuine encounter with God and learning that, hey, he's cool and he's awesome. But that's as far as it kind of got. It was like, Jesus is a cool guy. He does cool things. And I don't know what that means for me. Just that he's cool. And so from about 15 to 20, I operated with this head knowledge that I don't want to do anything to make God mad. But I also don't know if there's anything else I'm supposed to do about this God anyway. And so at 20, my mom and my sister had since come to faith, and I came home from university with a horrible heartbreak and trying to figure out what life meant and why, why did all these things have to happen to me. And between 20 and 22, I started attending church on a regular basis with my mom and sister. But it wasn't until Good Friday of 2002 that um, I actually realized not just that I had this head knowledge of God, but that he he was pursuing me, Hmm. that he wanted to be in a relationship with me, that he was actually putting all of these things in place so that I would come to a realization of his love and his, his purpose and desire to be in relationship with me. And so my life has been flipped upside down, turned around and all good stuff. But, uh, yeah, that's where it got to. So it was that 18 inches from my head to my heart that took Mm -hmm. seven and a half, eight years sort of accomplish what it was supposed to accomplish. Well, how many are glad that Janine said yes to Jesus? Amen. You know, and we say yes to Jesus, and sometimes people think, well, if I say yes to Jesus, then everything is going to be great in my life, right? There's going to be no problems. There's going to be money overflowing in my account. My marriage is going to flourish. My kids are going to be great. I will never have another sore throat again. Once you accept Jesus, it's like the magic pill. It's going to be awesome. Has anybody here found that to be the case? Not a, not a lot of hands today, Janine, for no. anything. No, because the opposite is true. Jesus said, I'm going to make you a guarantee. You will have troubles. Yeah. But I will be there with you. And I've overcome. I will walk with you. And it's those troubles, it's how we respond that define who we are as a believer. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what kind of faith pleases God? We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. This is a versioning that spoke to me so profoundly because many, I've shared this here before, um, October 22nd is going to make nine years that my dad, uh, my dad passed away from a brain tumor. And I remember when he died, I remember being so broken 
broken in my faith, in my humanity. I mean, my dad is gone. I remember being upset with God, saying, how could you let this happen? He was a good man. And you kind of reason and you go through all these things. And then somebody had the audacity to say to me, they quoted this and they said, you know, if your father had more faith, he wouldn't have died. And so the passage of scripture is this. And this is what it says in Matthew 17, 20. Please read it. He replied, because you have so little faith, I tell you, truly I tell you, if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move for nothing is impossible for you. You see, when you read it in the English, it says, if you have faith, that is what? As small, small as a mustard seed. But Pastor Joe, mm. is, is the mustard seed the smallest seed? Could he have chosen any other seed? Okay, that's a great question. Because if it's a question of the size of our faith, and he picks a mustard seed, then it was a bad choice. Because it's actually the fourth largest seed in Israel. And if you go below that, you have poppy seeds. You have, uh, what's the other one? Sesame. Sesame seeds that are tiny, tiny, tiny. So if Jesus was talking about the size of our faith, then he should have chosen a smaller seed, right? So what is it about the mustard seed that we're missing? That's the key. Going back to the culture, understanding what was it about the mustard seed that set it apart from the other seeds that he picked that one. And so often, Janine, when we don't know the culture, we just read it at face value in English, and we don't do any digging. Well, I did a lot of digging on this verse, because I thought, God, did my dad not have faith in you? Hmm. My dad went into a coma at the end of his life. He couldn't see. He couldn't speak. But you know what he could do? He could sing worship songs. Hmm. So don't tell me he didn't have faith. He had faith. And then I began to study the mustard seed, and what sets it apart is this. A mustard seed is actually part of the weed family. And it means this, that no matter where it's planted, it grows. In fact, to this day, and where Jesus would have been, yeah. he would have seen mustard plants growing everywhere. Because what they do is they would till the fields. Yeah. And they would take all the big stones and throw them out in between the houses. And every once in a while, you'd look between the houses and you would see these stones that had been moved to the side. You know what was below them? A mustard plant. Because a mustard plant is so tenacious that no matter what's put on top of it, no matter what prevents it or tries to prevent it from growing, it pushes, it moves, and it will move mountains right out of the way. God said, this is the kind of faith that pleases him. A faith that believes him no matter what. Come on. So That's the kind of faith we're called to have. The mustard seed is this tenacious, it's the seed that literally defines the, the impossible, where nothing should grow. That's right. Where nothing should thrive, where nothing should ever have any rooting, the mustard seed can be. So as we prepare to close this morning, let me ask you a question. What situation are you in right now? What stage of life, what, where are you on the journey What stone, what mountain is on you that's saying, no way you're going to grow. There's no way you're going to make it through this. You die here. It stops here. What's that rock? What's that mountain that's trying to hold you back? And I want you to take in what we're saying here this morning, that the faith that pleases God is the faith that says, no way. This will not be the death of me. This will not be the end of me. This will not take me. I am going to grow. 
whether I'm in a valley or I'm on a mountaintop, if I'm in a good place, in a bad place, no matter what, I have a faith that endures. Come on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's pray. Let's pray. If you would, I'm going to invite you to stand with us, actually. We're going to close in a word of prayer. And regardless of where you find yourself in this journey, I pray that that kind of faith would take root in your heart. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you are consistently seeking and saving those who earnestly seek after you. But God, you're also doing it for those who don't even know you've begun pursuit. There are often times that a big part of faith is not believing that you are this good God who loves us. Sometimes we look at our world and we see all of this bad stuff happening and we can forget that there is still a God who is searching for people who love him and that he loves. And maybe you're here today and you don't actually know whether or not you're good with God, that your faith is full with doubt, but that there is a Lord who says that if you come to him, that he will make you as white as snow, that mm. everything you've ever done has been wiped clean because of the promises of Jesus and what he accomplished for us. And so, Father, in this place today, I pray that there would be people who would move that 18 inches from their head to their heart and say yes to you, that they would just come to this place of believing you at your word, that you desire to seek and save that which was lost. Mm-hmm. And so, Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that faith can rise. May we go with boldness, confidence, and certainty that by the grace of God, our faith can move mountains. And we can declare this in the matchless and incredible name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.